here to begin a new series today on the church. And if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 4, we'll begin there. You can look in the Pew Bible in front of you. If you don't have a Bible of your own, please take that as a gift from us to you that you can have a Bible and be able to read the Word of God daily and let it inform you and shape you. Acts chapter 4 in verse 32 is where we're going to begin. If you want to know more about the book of Acts, you know we just came through this series on Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and His Spirit. Well, beginning next Sunday night, we'll have a discipleship class meeting here at the church in the Fellowship Hall, and that's at 6 p.m., I believe, and it is on the book of Acts. And Cindy is our teacher, and so if you want to come and learn about the book of Acts, Paul's missionary journeys, the spread of Christianity through that uh, known world there, and... um, All that happened in Jerusalem, come and join us. Sunday night, 6 p.m., starting next week, and we'll go through that. But today we're going to look at Acts 4.32 to begin this series on the church. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales, and they lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Lord, we thank you that you provide what is needed when it's needed. We thank you, Lord, that we can be part of one body, one faith, one baptism. We thank you, Lord, for the church. What a gift it is to us. Help us to understand it, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So somebody help me out this morning and tell me um, what is needed to have the church. What is needed to have the church? A little feedback, you to me. Tell me what it is. People. Good answer. What else is needed to have the church? A building. Okay. What else? God. That would be important. Yes, I think that's very important. Okay. Anything else that you can think of? Power of the Holy Spirit. There are many things that uh, we think define the church. And there are things that biblically don't necessarily define the church. And we're going to find out about those today. First, I want to say you are the church. The people. Born again believers with Jesus Christ in your heart. If you've invited him to be your savior and you believed upon him, the price that was paid at Calvary, then you are the church. That's where we're going to start this morning. Now, what would happen to... Liberty Church, if we decided that we would uh, not have a building anymore, and we wouldn't meet Sundays at 10.30, and instead we decided that we would meet, say, Saturdays at 9 a.m. in the Walmart parking lot in Conway, what would happen to Liberty Church? Any thoughts? (laughs) Some of us might go to jail. They might object to this public gathering. Okay, what else might happen? 
We might tell people about Jesus. They might just show up. I was in Texas one time, and I had to uh, go into the auto parts store to get a light for my car that had gone out. And I came out, and there's a circle of people there standing there. And I kind of walked by slowly to see what they were doing. And one of them had a Bible, and they're having church in the AutoZone parking lot in Texas. It's pretty awesome. All right, so some of you might go to jail if a public gathering and it's against laws. We might tell some new people about Jesus. Can you think of anything else that might happen if we decided not to have a building anymore and we didn't even meet on Sundays at 1030? We would still be the church. That is an important remembrance. I actually asked that of one church and a lady a couple of rows back, she said, we wouldn't have a church anymore. It'd be all over. Because sometimes we think it's the building, right? Sometimes we think it's the sign. Sometimes we think it's Sunday at, well, I would say 1045, but we changed that last year. We're rebels. We moved it up 15 minutes. <laughs> so, wow, we're messing with all kinds of stuff. But, but the church is the body of believers that are the called out ones, the ones who are saved by the blood of Jesus, who gather together to be well, his body. And next week we're going to talk about what it is to be the body. But today I want to tell you about what the church is. And the first is that it's not a building and it's not an institution. We use a building, but we don't have to have a building. Matter of fact, for about six months, our Sunday school class in Temple, Texas met out under a tree because we ran out of space in our building and we just needed to go somewhere. So we met out under a tree. And then it came to wintertime and it was a little cold, even in Texas, when you're sitting out there and it's about 40 degrees, trying to teach the lesson doesn't go very well as you're shivering around the tree. So instead we went into the uh, new building that we were building and we had church or Sunday school in there. Of course, there was no power and no heat, but at least we didn't have the wind and the rain anymore. Uh, so we didn't have to have... 10.45 in a building on a Sunday morning. We could be out under a tree. Matter of fact, Lynn Park in downtown Birmingham, Alabama, I had church there a few times. Uh, matter of fact, I did a prayer walk there for about six months, started a Bible study, and in that Bible study, it was quite interesting because I had some sheriff's deputies, I had some homeless people, and then there were some b professional businessmen um, and some politicians because we're right there in downtown in the middle of it all. And it was quite interesting to see the people that would listen to what was being taught and the other people who would pass us by and kind of roll their eyes. What are they up to? But we had church in the middle of a park in downtown Birmingham, and it didn't have to have a building. It didn't have to have Sunday morning at 1030. And we didn't have, um, no offense, Brendan, but we didn't have a guitar. And we, yeah, and we didn't, we didn't have any praise team. And we had church because we are the church. We are the people of God. And so, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are individually now a part of the church, and collectively you are the church. No pressure there. Kind of an important thing for us to remember. And I'll talk more about this next week, but 1 Corinthians 12 talks about this. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. We're one. 
I, I went to a church one time. It was sad. They didn't quite understand the oneness of the body of Christ. And I don't need to tell you what church it was, but I was at a church and they had a little placard in their pew and it said, uh, though we thank you for joining us today, if you are not what their denomination was, uh, you cannot take communion with us because we are not of one faith. Uh, They were a Christian church. They just misunderstood the fact that all Christian churches that are bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus who have accepted him as their Savior are one church. So believe it or not, Baptists and Nazarenes and Lutherans and Catholics and Episcopalians and Methodists, we are one church. If we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation, his blood is what is bought and paid for us and united us. His spirit has brought us together. And we've got, yes, some difference of opinions on some things, but our opinions don't get us to heaven. Our opinions don't get us into the body of Christ. It's the blood of Jesus and our acceptance of that by grace through faith are you saved. And guess what? Every one of us, when we get to heaven, we'll find out that on some theological concept we were wrong. We will. And we'll find out that we preached or taught something wrong, but to the best of our ability, we're trying to dig through the scriptures and trying to understand what he said, but we are the church, the people are the church. Now, Revelation 21, 12 talks about the new Jerusalem and what God is going to do when he brings us all together with him in unity at the end of time. And it says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. So you are the church, you are the body of Christ, and you are the bride of Christ. We're going to talk about each of those in the coming weeks. But we're going to be married to Christ forever. They even call it in Scripture the wedding feast of the Lamb. We'll be wedded. We'll be in union and oneness with God forever and ever. It's a good thing. That's an awesome thing. It's a beautiful thing. And I hope that it's also a terrifying thing because we say he is holy and he is majestic and he is sovereign and I'm I'm down here, and he's up here, and he's going to make me one with him? But in Romans, uh, kind of like how Paul starts each of his different epistles, he actually addresses them to different groups of people, different churches, different people who are part of the church. And in Romans, he says, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, all who are called as saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So you are the church, you're the body of Christ, You're the bride of Christ. You're the beloved of God. You're the saints. And there's another word for that in some of the passages. You're the holy ones. So it would be a little awkward, and we probably wouldn't believe it if I said, well, why don't we all say, I am a holy one of God? Because we know unholy things that have been in our mind or our hearts or our lives. But he says that if you believed on me, if you've confessed, then I... I've forgiven you and cleansed you of all unrighteousness. And beyond that, it even says he gives his Holy Spirit, his holiness to us, so that then he can make us to be one with him, and he can say, you are my holy ones. Set apart is one part of holy, but also the one who's made righteous. All right, so um, whose church is it? Whose church is it? It's God's church, right? How many of you have ever heard this said? Uh, What does your church do over there on 36? Or what is your church teaching? Or who's who's your new pastor at your church? Or anybody ever heard those things? 
I've had, I've had it countless times where they're like, uh, so what's your church up to these days? Not my church. Doesn't belong to me. Doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. We don't act like that. Uh, if the carpet gets changed to a color that I don't care for, they messed with my church, right? If they sang a song on Sunday that I didn't like, well, that, that, hey, don't mess with the worship service. I like my music the way I like it at my church. It's not my church. It's not my music. It's the Lord's church, and the music is for his glory and for his honor. And yeah, he uses it to edify and build us up because he inhabits the praises of his people. But you realize that he could inhabit the praises of his people if it's a Gregorian chant as much as if it's a contemporary song on guitar or if we're singing it with the high church pipe organ. He can inhabit the praises of his people if our heart is in agreement with our speech, is poured out before him because it's not my church and it's not my music, it's all about him, right? So, we got to remember it's not the pastor's church, it's not the board's church, it's not yours or mine, it's God's. He owns it. And I want us to look in Matthew chapter 16 to see, well, who started the whole thing. So turn with me to Matthew 16. I want to read it to you. Matthew 16, verse 18, and then we'll back up in a minute and talk about this, but it says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And he warned the disciples. Okay, so let's back up to before then, because some people misunderstand that scripture. Um, matter of fact, one church talks about the fact that that right there says that Peter is what the whole church was built on because it says, I will build my church on this rock. That's really not at all what's meant there. Let's back up to what's said before then to get an understanding. It says in verse 15, Jesus said to them, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Do you know what the rock is? The rock, yeah, we know that Peter's name means rock. Jesus was doing a little play on words there. But the rock that Jesus builds his church upon is the rock of Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what it says right there. Blessed are you, Simon, because my Father who is in heaven revealed this to you. Revealed what? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the rock. Another place in Scripture it says that there shall be no other foundation laid but that of Jesus Christ. So Jesus owns the church. By the way, right here in this passage, Jesus started the church. Also, in this passage, who builds the church? Anybody get Take a guess. All right, Jesus builds it. Isn't that what it says right there in verse 18? I will build my church. It's his church. He owns it. He started the whole thing, and he's the head of the church, and he says he will build the church. Whew. All right, I guess we don't have to worry about it then, right? Well, there is a commissioning and a co-partnering. We don't have to build it in the sense of us going out and trying to show it off and make it big and grand. What we have to do is make disciples, give God glory, edify and build up each other in encouragement and in faith and in love, and he's going to build 
the church. But this is kind of an important thing, and I want you to hear this scripture verse. Scripture verse talks about the fact that we are not our own. We were bought and paid for with a price. So in other words, this church, we already said it's not ours, it's his, but God bought and paid for the church, the body, and the price that was paid was his own death on the cross. We can also equally say, this is not my own. I don't own this body. God does. I don't own the things in my pockets. God does. I don't own the car that I drive or the house that I live in. God does. It's his. If I'm his child, if I've given him my life, if I've given him my allegiance, if I've pledged my commitment to him to be his follower, to say, yes, Lord, you are my Lord, my master, the ones who's in charge of me. Well, he started the church. He owns the church. He leads the church. He, everything that I have belongs to him. And we don't do anything because it was a good idea to us. We do it because God says, this is what I want you to do. So I want you to remember that. God started the church. He owns the church. He leads the church. All right, what must, I want to have a little feedback here. What must the church have in order to exist and fulfill God's mission? What do we have to have to exist and fulfill God's mission? Not our wishes or dreams, but what he wants done. Got to have the Bible. It's the word of God, the revealed truth. What else do we have to have? does have to be an absolute personal relationship with God. We cannot depend on somebody else. It was a difficult thing for me to hear from the Lord, but there was a time when God said, you realize you won't stand at judgment day before me with your wife. Because she was doing really good in her relationship with God. And she was reading her Bible, and she was praying, and she was showing gentleness, and she was showing grace. And I was like, if I can just get closer to her, maybe... And God says, you won't stand before me on judgment day with her. Right? It's a personal relationship of trusting. All right, we have to have a Bible. We have to have a personal relationship. What else do we have to have to fulfill the mission, God's mission, not ours? Obedience. And his anointing. Building of Christ-like disciples. So we don't want them to look like us. We want them to look like him. Right? If they look like us, that could be a bad day because we've seen ourselves in the mirror sometimes. But if they look like Jesus, that's a great thing, right? right? They look like Jesus. They're anointed by, like Jesus was with the Holy Spirit. They're obedient like Jesus was to the will of the Father. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey. Because sometimes if you've been disobeyed, has it ever communicated to you, man, they don't seem to love or respect me very much. We may know otherwise, and yet there's something tied in, Jesus says, between love and obedience. If you love, you will obey. So, I'm trying not to sneeze. Uh, This is what the church must have to exist and fulfill God's mission. We don't have to have a building. We don't have to have a Sunday gathering. We don't have to have a praise team. We don't don't have to have a church board. Uh, We don't have to have teen ministries and children's ministries. There are certain things we have to have according to Scripture. Uh, Because it says that God himself appointed pastors and teachers and evangelists. And he gave gifts of his Holy Spirit to those. But we don't have to have some of these other things. They're they're great when we have them. They're they're a nice thing. But what we have to have is his spirit. We have to have the Bible. 
Matthew 28 is the Great Commission. And it says, The eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee. <coughs> the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee and to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And, lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We have to have an awareness of God's mission. He says that he wants none to perish, but all to come to repentance, all to come to salvation. So I heard somebody say one time that God's heartbeat is all, none. That all would come to repentance and none would be lost. Because he came to seek and to save the lost. The church, in order to exist and fulfill God's mission, we have to have His Spirit, we have to have His anointing, we have to go and make Christ-like disciples, we have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we have to have His Spirit in us and leading us and through us. We also, Colossians 3.2 reminds us, set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. We always get ourselves in trouble when we put our mind on things on earth. It could be the problems we're going through, it could be the material possessions that we want or that we have that we worry about protecting or taking care of. It could be any number of things, but when our mind is on things on earth, it's always going to lead us to trouble. But if our mind is on things in heaven, on God's grace, on God's glory, on God's um, kingdom, then that's going to bring us to a place where we can fulfill God's missions. Now, I want to give you some warnings and some blessings. Warnings and blessings about being the church. The first warning here is Jesus was talking about the Pharisees, and he talked about something in John 15. And he said, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. In other words, if you didn't know that you were the church, and you thought the church was the building and the pastor and the board, well, if you didn't know, then you wouldn't be guilty if you didn't do anything but show up and watch. But now that you know that you're the church, and you know that God has called you to obedience, and he's called you to faithfulness, and he's called you to be the church and to go and do things in his name, here's the warning, Surgeon General's warning, if you don't do it, there's consequences. Because now you know that God has established you to be light in a dark place. He's established you to be the salt of the earth. And if you don't do it, then, then there are people that will suffer, including your, yourself. Because Jesus also says to us that to whom much is given, much is required. In other words, if you've been given this knowledge and you've been given blessings and you've been given uh, material possessions and, and, and you don't help someone with it. You don't help them to know the God, the God of the universe. You don't help them to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're just, you're just kind of sitting on it, right? Well, then we're, we're held accountable for that. There's some warnings for you. James 2.16 is a difficult one for me, maybe for all of us. If you see your brother in need and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what is use in that? If you have material possessions, you see your brother in need and you say, hey, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, but you do not help them, what use is that? And it's in the context of James talking about religion that God finds 
admirable, pleasing, what it is to be the church. And he says, it's to take care of the fatherless and the widows, those in need, those around you who are suffering. So there's some warnings for you about being the church. God's expecting much of you. Here's some cool stuff, though. There's some amazing blessings for the church. So I want to share with you from Ephesians chapter 5. It actually says to us in verse 29 that God, that God nourishes and cherishes the church. You're cherished. You're the apple of his eye. You're his beloved. He looks over you and he treasures you and he rejoices over you with singing. He, he cherishes you, but he also nourishes you. He's going to give you what you need to be sustained in your emotional life. He's going to give you what you need to be sustained in your physical well-being. He's going to give you what you need in order that spiritually you could grow and be vibrant in your walk with Christ and in your life with other people. He's going to nourish you. He's going to cherish you. That's what Christ does for the church. And remember what I said earlier, that Christ said that he will build his church. That means he's going to build you up. He's going to strengthen you for the task at hand. And the task at hand, remember, is, well, it's more about God's glory and his honor and the advancement of his kingdom than it is about my personal comfort, which is hard for me. Because if it was about my comfort first and then his glory, I'd all be for it. But it's for his seek first, his kingdom and his glory and his righteousness. And then all these other things like comfort and pleasure and provision will be taken care of as well. But first, seek his kingdom. First, look out for his glory. First, do these things. And then he will build you up because he builds the church. He'll strengthen you and he'll help you. I think what's interesting, I'd never thought of this before, but I read this. It talked about the fact about what the church, the body of Christ, can be and do. It said, did you, did you realize that an airplane is a machine that is built and consists entirely from 100% non-flying parts? You ever think about that? <laughs> if you take that airplane apart, you have a bunch of non-flying parts. They're not like helium. They can just float up in the air. They're not able to just take off on their own. But you put them together, and all of a sudden, there's something that can happen that's greater than the sum of their parts. And the church, you, the church, the body of Christ, when, you, when you're together in unity and when the Spirit is empowering you and sending you, what well, you can take off and you can do things you could never do or imagine doing alone. <laughs> William Temple said the church is the only cooperative society in the world that exists for the benefit of its non-members. We're cooperating, we're voluntarily choosing to cooperate with each other and with God in order to exist for those people out there. And yes, it's also for the mutual edification of the believer. We know that, there's scripture about that, but you can't ignore one for the other. You've got to love your neighbor who's on the pew next to you and love your neighbor who's in the cubicle next to you at work. And we're going to talk in the coming weeks about being the body of Christ. We're going to talk about being the bride, the beloved. But I just want you to hear this morning, you are the church. And God established that. And he's going to build you up. And he's going to empower you. But the warning is he's going to empower you to do something with it. You have to be and do something because if we're just a bump on a log, we have severe warnings about that 
in Revelation about the lukewarm church. And God wants us to be ablaze for his glory. Lord, we thank you so much that you decided to invite people to be your church. The gathered ones, the called out ones, the ones you make holy. Lord, I know that just because we're in this room this morning, it doesn't mean we're your church. You make us your church when we accept you as Lord and Savior, and we ask you to forgive us of our sins and become Lord of our lives, then you make us your church. Lord, I pray that you would help us each to accept that invitation to be your family and your church. I pray, Lord, that every person in here would have that personal relationship with you of trust where we can stand before you on judgment, and say, judgment day and say, Lord, Lord. And you would say, well done, good and faithful servant, because we've believed, Lord, and we've obeyed. Lord, I pray that here at Liberty, Lord, you would unite us together as one, with one mission to seek first your kingdom and your glory and your righteousness, knowing that you'll help us to do everything else that's needed along the way. Lord, I pray in these upcoming weeks that we would understand your heartbeat of love and compassion and tenderness, as well as this beautiful, rich inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.